This is the Dan Grasser Show on 98.7 ESPN. <laughs> Been a couple of minutes, but we are back together, taking a run up until 10 o'clock Eastern. We'll hand things over to Gordon and Larry then. You know the drill. It's 800-919-ESPN, 800-919-3776 is the number if you want to be a part of the program. Jacob Perry, he's my buddy, my pal. He's producing the program today. And if you want to check me out on Twitter, feel free to do so at Dan Grasser, G-R-A. C-A. Both baseball teams in action this evening. Yankees and the Reds getting underway shortly over in the Bronx. And who would have thought a rubber match on hand between those two teams as Cincinnati rallied off of Clay Holmes a couple of nights ago and the Yankees hung on for dear life before pulling it off thanks to some uh, Alexis Diaz exploits in extras there and DJ LeMahieu scoring The winning run on a wild pitch actually advanced two bases on consecutive wild pitches, as a matter of fact, to give the Yankees the victory. But I think even the bigger concern is what's facing the Yankees now off the field with the news that Luis Severino ends up on the injured list due to a latch strain and what the ramifications of that could be potentially, not just for Luis, but for the Yankees starting rotation, I think, in general, which has really been a surprise this season, which has been one of the strengths of this baseball team. And really the fact that the Bombers haven't had to dip you know, too far down into the depths of starting pitching to be able to make it through the first half of this season. They've been fairly lucky when you consider that the majority of the games have been started by those five guys, your normal five starting pitchers. I think all but four of them, as a matter of fact, so far here this season. But that is now going to change with Severino on the shelf for Really, who knows how long, to be quite honest with you. It comes down to how fast this is going to heal. Maybe they get a little bit of a break here in terms of it being a low-grade latch strain, not a grade two, which is something that he dealt with in the past. But, you know, what concerns me more than anything else is that you're talking about somebody that has battled physical ailments over the last couple of years. You know, and it's been a long time since he's been able to make it through a season from start to finish and really flashing that Cy Young-type potential which we saw prior to, you know, him dealing with a litany of these bumps and bruises and whatnot. I mean, we thought we were talking about a guy who was going to be a perennial all-star in the Cy Young conversation on a fairly regular basis, but instead it's just trying to see if we can get this guy from the start to the finish line without missing any amount of significant time all throughout the course of a season. And right now the Yankees are faced with that again when it comes to Luis Severino, which is certainly something that bears watching, it bears concerns, and oh, by the way, As we check out this game, once it gets underway here in just a little bit, maybe keep an extra special eye or two on the guy towing the rubber for the visitors in the Cincinnati Reds, and we're talking about Luis Castillo, a guy whose name has certainly been the subject of trade rumors, a guy that's going to get traded by the Reds since they're going absolutely nowhere, and maybe, just maybe, you know, he's a guy who got a late start to the season because he was slow getting back onto the field. He's pitched pretty well of late, though. You know, he's pitched like an all-star over the last several weeks here. And hopefully that's something he's going to carry over with him into whatever situation he finds himself in once Cincinnati decides to move on from him prior to August 2nd. And the trade deadline, is it going to be the Yankees? Could it be the Bronx? Who knows? You know, there's certainly going to be other teams that are going to covet his services, and no doubt the Yankees are probably going to be one of them, and they're going to get an up-close look on him tonight. But they hope he has a rough evening at the Bronx, and the Yankees are able to take two out of three, win this series, and then turn the page quickly onto the Boston Red Sox for three games here in the Bronx as they close out the first half of the season and head into this all-star break. Mets, meantime, they're going to be in Chicago off of taking two out of three against the Atlanta Braves. A lot of people wanted to, dare I say, diminish what the Mets accomplished over the last few days in Atlanta. Like, you know, some of the, the, like the you know, national talking heads that I saw. You know, about, well, you know, it, it, divisions aren't won and lost in July. You know, Mets won a series, big deal. Doesn't mean anything because they still have to play the Atlanta Braves 12 more times this year. You know, things can change in a hurry. And you're right. You know, they still do have to lock heads with this team many, many times before the end of the season. And those games are going to be really, really important. But you can't sit here and tell me that what the Mets did over the last three days in Atlanta did not mean something and didn't mean something significant for this club, considering that I think a good portion of the public is kind of waiting for that other shoe to drop when talking about this Mets team, that they don't have what it takes, that Atlanta has been breathing down their necks for the last, let's say, month, month and a half. 
The fact that the Mets went down to Atlanta, a place that's been a horror show for them, more so Turner Field than the new place out there in Cobb County, but still, it's Atlanta. The fact that they did it without Starling Marte, they did it without Jeff McNeil, they did it without James McCann, you know, missing all of these key contributors to their lineup and having to hit Luis Guillaume cleanup in the matinee game yesterday and they take two out of three and they take the series? And with Max Scherzer setting the tempo back on Monday night, looking every bit like the guy you gave $43 million to in the offseason to pitch in big games like that and more importantly to pitch well, in big games like that, and that's exactly what he did. It's exactly what he did. So Max set the tempo off on the right foot. They had the little hiccup there on Tuesday night, but bounced back yesterday afternoon. Another strong performance by Chris Bassett, and the bats came to life too, giving them just enough offense to take two out of three and get out of that series against the Atlanta Braves. Now on to Chicago. Now on paper, this looks like a mismatch. As we all know, because the Cubs are rebuilding, the Cubs are having themselves a difficult season, and the Cubs are playing horrible baseball, right? They've lost six in a row. Cubs just got swept by the Baltimore Orioles at Wrigley Field. And Baltimore, you know, it's not the same Baltimore Orioles. They're not going to make the playoffs, but you look at Baltimore, they got a winning record. They're in last place in the American League East, and they have a winning record. Brandon Hyde should, should even though they don't give out these awards in July, but he should get some manager of the year consideration. I don't think he's going to win it, although you never know what could happen between now and the end of the season. But if you ask me, I mean, he got Aaron Boone, and you can make a very strong, convincing case that no other manager has done a better job in the American League than Brandon Hyde with an Orioles team which has a payroll smaller than the amount of money that I have probably in my couch cushions right now. And the fact that they had no expectations when the season began, they're really not even at the level where they're even contemplating being a serious contender this year and probably even not even next year. And the fact that they have a winning record is really nothing short of spectacular. It really and truly is. So he's done a phenomenal job. But more importantly, if you're the Mets, all right, you got four games against the Cubs team, which you should be able to do some damage against. You know, you're going to have Max Scherzer going in one of these games. And I know the Atlanta Braves, you know, isn't it amazing, too, about the Atlanta Braves? And I know that all these games even out and, you know, everybody plays everybody the same amount of times, especially if you're in the same division like the Mets and the Braves are. But isn't it amazing, like, every time you look up, and if the Mets aren't playing the Atlanta Braves, the Braves are playing, like, one of the worst teams in baseball. Then it just seemed like that for the last month because here we are again. They're in Washington to take on the Nats, a horrible Nationals team. So you figure that the Braves are going to take care of business against them, which means Mets probably won't be able to widen their lead atop that National League East too much before they get to the All-Star break coming up after Sunday. It's two and a half right now. You know, and I say in Chicago, which is tricky, but I think you don't settle for anything less than three out of four. You know, a Cubs team, which is slumping, as we said, you're the better team. Go take three out of four against the Cubs. But the thing about it is, and, and you know, Mets fans know this, Mets never seem to play well at Wrigley Field of late. Never. Except if you consider the 2015 National League Championship Series when they swept the Cubs. But outside of the playoffs that one year, it seems like Wrigley Field has been a house of horrors for the Mets. Doesn't matter how good or bad the Mets are, and the same thing goes for the Chicago Cubs. They can never find to, you know, find the way to go have success there. Like weird things happen, fluky things happen, and you hope that they don't fall victim to that here over the next few days. Carlos Carrasco gets the ball tonight. Keegan Thompson, one of the youngsters for the Cubs, has done a nice job, actually, this year. So that could be a tricky spot this evening. But Mets, you want to carry that momentum over from Atlanta and take care of business against the lowly, the woeful Chicago Cubbies on the north side of Chicago. And, oh, by the way, Mets are going to see a familiar face this weekend when they're in Chicago. Uh, Marcus Stroman is going to be on the bump tomorrow afternoon, as a matter of fact, against his old teammate, Taiwan Walker. So Stroman has had an uh, injury-ravaged first season in Chicago. I don't know uh, you know, if the, uh, the tweets and everything have been fired off uh, with as much frequency as they did when he was still here with the Mets. I don't pay any attention to that stuff. But nevertheless, Mets are going to make sure they go out there and they try to beat him and finish out this first half strong. And then, oh, by the way, you hope that you get another big reinforcement back just after the All-Star break. Somebody by the name of Jacob DeGrom, who is making his third start this evening, third rehab start this evening. Uh, this one for Syracuse 
up there in AAA. And you hope, you just hope that if everything goes A-OK this evening and he doesn't report any sort of discomfort, any bumps or bruises, anything like that, that, you know, maybe his next start is going to be in the big leagues and for the New York Mets. You know, there's, there, there's some talk, there's some reports, there's some rumors that maybe, just maybe, that weekend series right out of the All-Star break against the San Diego Padres at City Field could be potentially when you see DeGrom back making a star for the Mets. And, I mean, that would be fantastic. That would be great because you want to try to maximize as much DeGrom as you can before now and the end of the season, which you hope involves a very, very strong playoff push in the month of October. So that is the baseball situation we got going on for this evening. And we're going to keep you up to date, of course, on everything that's happening with both of the games. Yanks just underway. Mets aren't going to get underway still for at least another 45 minutes or so with that uh, start in the central time zone there in Chicago. 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. We come back. Got to get into some basketball, do we not? Because the rumor mills are churning once again involving the New York Knickerbockers, involving the Knicks, and a all-star which, of course, is somebody we know all quite well, somebody that has ties to NYC, and somebody who could be on the verge of maybe a homecoming over the not-too-distant future. We'll get into the Knicks and Donovan Mitchell rumors as we get this show off the road. Say hi to Jose in the Bronx. He's going to start us off. He's our leadoff hitter here on 98.7. Jose, what's the word? Hey, Dan, how you doing? Good. What's the word? Um, I just uh, I'm a little concerned about this Yankees team. I wanted to get your take on it. Um, uh, coming off that Houston series, I feel like I felt like our offense didn't really look great. And then going into that last Boston series, they got a bunch of starters, you know, injured. So I kind of felt like we should have dominated the series, and we really didn't. And on top of that, I feel like our pitching didn't look great. I mean. We can do whatever against, you know, Pittsburgh, against Cincy. But I feel like Houston and Boston, those are some potential playoff matchups for us. And I don't think we really we really showed up and looked like the best team in baseball. Is a little bit of concern warranted in this situation, or do you think I'm making too much of June and July baseball here? A little bit of both, Jose, to be honest with you. And I thank you for the phone call. A little bit of both. Okay. I, I You know, last week Gordon Damer and I filled in for the guys in the K-Show, and – you know, a lot's been made of it, of course, all, all the nitpicking from the Yankee fan about Joey Gallo specifically. And, you know, the number nine spot in the batting order right now is an albatross for the New York Yankees. And, oh, my gosh, they got to get more production from it. How can you expect to win a World Series if you have Joey Gallo in that lineup each and every night? There is no way that they're going to be able to compete. At the end of the day, right, you got a 14-game lead in your division. You got the best record in all of baseball. All right, let, 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 if we take a step back here for a second and assess reality, like this is what we would like to call reality check. That's what this part of the program is called, reality check, starring the New York Yankees. You got a 14-game lead, right? You're four up in the loss column on the Houston Astros, which is the only team you're going to have to be looking at in your rearview mirror all year long. Forget about the Red Sox, the Rays, Toronto, forget them. All right, worry about fending off Houston because, guy, you may not want to hear it now and you may not be able to think that far ahead in October, but I'm warning you now. Uh, it's going to be a little bit chilly outside. I know you're not going to be able to maybe think that now because it's 90 degrees, it seems like, every day here because summer's great and I hope it never gets cold. But it's going to be chilly come October. You know, it's not going to stay light out until 8.30 at night anymore. Right? The leaves start to turn. And all of a sudden, there's this thing called football, which is consuming us seemingly day in and day out. But then baseball plays really important games, too. And if all things go according to plan, you expect the Yankees to be playing important games late into October. And on the American League side, at least I expect the Yankees and the Astros to be the ones locking horns, like the last two teams standing with the trip to the, at the, or trip to the World Series at stake. And you want to make sure that if that series goes seven games, which right now, you know what? These two teams are so evenly matched. Look at when they play each other. Doesn't it seem like they're ticketed for a seven-game series? Don't you want that game seven in your building? Your building, by the way, which Houston Astros certainly aren't intimidated by. I mean, we just saw Houston a couple of weeks ago come in here and play really, really good baseball. 
Really, really good baseball. No hitches, a matter of fact. So I don't think that they're intimidated by the Bronx. They can win a game seven if need be here. But do you have any confidence or as much confidence, I should say, that the Yankees will have the same success in Houston? I don't. That place has been a horror show for them in the month of October over the last five years. Has it not? So point is, you want that game, you want the home field in the Bronx. Let them come up here. Because they're probably going to line things up to have Justin Verlander start in that game. And say what you want about Garrett Cole. I know he hasn't been awful, but I want Justin Verlander pitching for my team, even over a guy like Garrett Cole. And that's the edge the Astros are going to have going into that series. So are we concerned about the Yankees right now? Is this something that, you know, we're going to sit here and obsess over? Not entirely. I don't think we're at that point yet. Now, what Jose was saying, though, like the games against the Boston Red Sox, like are those measuring stick type games? Yeah, absolutely, for sure. You know, those are the type of games that you grade yourself on. I mean, nobody cares what you do against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Nobody cares what you do against the Cincinnati Reds unless it's just god-awful, right? And so if the Yankees do lose this game tonight and drop two out of three to Cincinnati, you're not going to like it, but you're not going to sit there also and say, oh, the season's over. The Yankees aren't going to be able to achieve all these great things that we thought could happen for them. But you don't want to take these teams for granted either. And, and you know what? Put these wins in your pocket. That's what you should do. I will bring up one other thing, though, about the Yankees. On, like, as far as a concern, we talked about Severino. And we talked about the starting pitching. Right now, that Yankees starting rotation is third in baseball. 3-2-4 ERA. That's pretty good. You know, if you go through an entire season with a 3-2 ERA from your starters, you take that any year, any day of the week, you sign on the dotted line. But is it sustainable? That's the question. Remember, at one time it was first, and now it's dropped down to three a little bit. Houston has leapfrogged you. Tampa Bay is right on your heels. And, I mean, say what you want about Tampa Bay. Yanks have done a really, really good job against them this year. But Tampa Bay is a team that historically has given the Yankees fits. You know, they're going to maybe be getting Tyler Glass now back before the season is over. That's another pitcher with electric stuff who can give a lineup fits. And over the last two nights, too, I, I mean, you know, as long as we're on the subject of concern, let's just throw this out there, right? Might as well bring it up just for the sake of conversation. What you've seen from Clay Holmes the last couple of nights. Clay Holmes has been a revelation this year. Has he not been great? Very deserving all-star, 100%. Maybe the best relief pitcher in the whole sport this year. That's how good he's been. You can't expect him to be perfect every single time out because you know what? Mariano Rivera wasn't perfect every time out. Might seem like it. You know, certainly on the biggest stage in the month of October, he was darn near perfect most times. But he's human. And he's going to have that hiccup every so often. So Clay Holmes implodes on Tuesday night, and they lose the game against Cincinnati. And then last night, he made things very interesting, walked the tightrope, and he was probably lucky to get out of that situation, all things considered. And if you think about Clay Holmes, he hadn't even been a Yankee yet for a full year. You know, he was traded over last season on July the 26th. So he's approaching that one-year anniversary as a Yankee. And you could trace the success that he has had in the big leagues to his time with the New York Yankees. So think about that for a second. He has not even been a successful big league pitcher for even a year's time. Because all those years he was with the Pittsburgh Pirates, nobody was saying one of the best pitchers in baseball, all-star and Clay Holmes, and putting them all in the same sentence. That was the furthest thing from reality. So to be fair... You know, we've sat here for the last several weeks and brought up the fact that maybe, just maybe, you know, you got guys like Nestor Cortez, Jamison Tyone, Jordan Montgomery, you know, guys who maybe don't have that extensive workload in their careers and maybe haven't proven it on a regular basis, on a consistent basis over a lengthy period of time that they are indeed the real deal. So you're concerned about that. You know, can they keep this thing going late into the season when you want them to be doing it the most? Well, Clay Holmes, I think, is another and name you add to that list. Don't you think? When you look at a sample size, which is extremely, extremely small right now, 
of being a top-flight pitcher. And now with these hiccups the last couple of nights, yeah, you'd like to think that it's just a blip, but we don't know. Only time is going to tell. It's going to be pretty concerning over the next couple of weeks if Clay Holmes continues to struggle. Or what happens if Clay Holmes can't get the job done this weekend against the Boston Red Sox? A good team, a division rival, a team that we know has a very, very lethal offense. When they're firing on all cylinders, what happens if he has some hiccups then? Remember, Clay Holmes' career, career high in innings pitched in the season is 70. And he's already starting to creep up to that number. And you figure that as he continues to get closer to that and you hope maybe even shoots right past it later on this year that the performance is not going to suffer any sort of a consistent drawback. Because you know and I know what's going to happen next. That means you turn things back over to a role. Does Chapman to be closing out games for you if you're the Yankees? You feel confident about that? Is that the guy you want entrusting your life with with three outs to go at the end of the game? Not me. I was never a big Chapman guy. Never. And certainly not now after everything that he's been through this season. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. Uh, Reds and Yanks scoreless in the second inning over in the boogie down. Mets and Cubbies coming up at the top of the hour at Wrigley Field in Chi-Town. So, the Knicks. It seems like every time we sit down and reconvene and, you know, we're talking about the big stories and what's shaking and what's happening and whatnot, it seems like the Knicks are always, you know, beneath the surface some way, somehow. Even if they're not, like, the top story, they're always just there. Because I get it. It's the city. It's the city's game. It's our team. I get it. And a lot's happened over the last couple of weeks, right? We had the whole influx of free agency and what they were going to do and the disappointment from draft night and how they were going to parlay that into actually improving the club. And, well, they went out there and they got their guy. And we're going to spend the next, I don't know how many years, you and I back and forth debating whether or not Jalen Brunson works out for this team and whether or not he was money well spent and whether the Knicks got a steal or whether he's overpaid or blah, 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 blah. His play is going to do the talking. But Leon Rose still isn't done yet trying to put together the pieces that are going to turn this program around and make them a significant and, more importantly, a consistent winner in the Eastern Conference, which has not happened for quite some time. And I think we could all agree what happened a couple of years ago when they finished fourth in that COVID season and got themselves home court advantage in the playoffs before bowing out to the Atlanta Hawks. I think that, you know, hindsight would judge that as an aberration more than anything else. I don't think that that was legitimately who this team is because you saw a, a regression back to the norm last year where they missed the playoffs and there was more bad than good, certainly. So now what? What does this Knicks team look like? Well, right now, I mean, think about it. Yeah, you brought in Jalen Brunson. Fantastic. You re-signed Mitchell Robinson. Great, but you also said goodbye to some other guys on this team. You know, and whether or not you thought that they were cornerstones and building blocks, I get it, but there's still bodies. There's still points. It's still guys you got to replace, whether it's Taj Gibson, Nerlens Noel, whether it's Alec Burks. And I still, you know, I, I, I'm going to keep pounding the table. You know, Alec Burks was a good player. You know, not a superstar by any stretch. Alec Burke's a good player and a guy you want on your team. You know, team first guy, played out of position, did what the team needed him to do. You got to find a way to make up that production. You know, Knicks are low on manpower right now. And if these rumors have any sort of credence to them, you know what? They could be parting ways with even more manpower, chasing down another star player. And I think you all know who that is in Donovan Mitchell. And it's the next domino to fall. And it's one that really has kind of been always hovering around over the last couple of years because anybody that follows the NBA and anybody that covers the NBA, when you looked at the situation involving Utah the last couple of seasons, right, they had the two big stars. You had Mitchell, you had Gobert. And each and every year, they never could get over that hump once the Western Conference playoffs rolled around. The West has a lot of good teams. The West is stacked. And Utah can never make a deep run in the playoffs. Like it would always be, all right, maybe you win a round and then you're out in the second round. Nothing more than that. And you always ask that question, well, when are they going to finally maybe move one of these guys? Because they ain't working, right? I mean, it's nice having them on your team, but if you're not making deep runs into the playoffs, well, then try something else. And then a couple of weeks ago, they finally moved on from Rudy Gobert. 
Trade him to the Minnesota Timberwolves. You're like, wow, okay, so this is happening. And Danny Ainge, who's the new guy in charge there, has decided, you know, he, he sees the writing on the wall. He's like, I'm not just going to keep beating our head against the wall here and running it back with the same group, with the same core, because it's not getting us anywhere. And they've got, of course, some tough decisions to make. They made one of them, and they got a king's ransom for Rudy Gobert, which is going to play itself into our conversation about Donovan Mitchell, of course. The Knicks have stockpiled a gazillion draft choices, right? You walk into Madison Square Garden right now, all you see are draft choices, tons of them. Now, they're not like tangible things. You can't like grab them and touch them and you know pull them out of thin air. That's not how draft choices work. You hope that one day they become real contributing pieces to your team. But that's like years and years down the line. I mean, the Knicks have a lot of draft capital to work with, a lot of draft capital. What is it, 11 first-round picks over the next seven years? Patience is one thing. Patience is a virtue. But what do you do with it? Nobody's going to sit here and just wait for seven years to tick on by and you just use those 11 draft choices selectively each and every year when June rolls around with the NBA draft. I mean, that's not wise team building, and that would be foolish. Nobody would do that. But those draft choices are pieces, they're chips to go out and get you guys that can help immediately, that can help you build that winner. And now might be the time to go out and make that happen. You could bring a hometown kid back home, right? Put these draft picks to good use. But it's going to cost you. You know that. I don't have to sit here and be the one to tell you. I mean, anybody who's listening right now, we're sitting here wondering, okay, what are the Knicks going to do? What is it going to take to get this done? You know as well as I do, you're not going to get him for nothing. Look at what Rudy Gobert pulled back for the Utah Jazz. How about four first-round picks, three of them unprotected, and they also got some warm bodies in addition, like actual human beings that play in the NBA. And that was for Rudy Gobert. And I know that Rudy Gobert is a, you know, all-star, defensive player of the year, all-defense, rim protector, all of those things. But whose value is higher in today's NBA? On July the 14th in the year of our Lord, 2022, what does the NBA value greater? A rim-protecting all-star center or a superstar scoring shooting guard? I think we know the answer to that question. Unless you've been living underneath a rock or living in a cave, you know what, what is valued more in today's NBA. And so if that was the price tag for Rudy Gobert, what the hell do you think the price tag is going to be for Donovan Mitchell? And the report that came out last night from Shams on The Athletic that the Knicks are the quote-unquote focused destination. As Utah's been having conversations with a lot of teams, but the Knicks have been the focus over the last several days. Trying to work out the parameters of a deal. I love that word, parameters. Of hopefully some sort of an agreement. What do you do with those 11 first-round picks over the next seven years? Yo, remember the guy who's pulling the strings here, right? Remember the guy who's pulling the strings in Danny Ainge. We talked about him a little bit earlier. And you know how there's like certain guys, certain teams in sports that if you do business with them, it's almost like buyer beware, right? That you kind of want to tread lightly because if you make a move with those guys or teams, you might end up on the short end of the stick. And I don't have to remind people in this town what Danny Ainge did when he was the man in charge of the Boston Celtics and the highway robbery that he executed against Billy King when he was running the Brooklyn Nets. And he traded a couple of senior citizens, albeit Hall of Fame senior citizens, on their last legs to the Brooklyn Nets and got back a bounty of first-round picks, a bounty of first-round picks that helped turn around the Boston Celtics and to shape them into a conference contender in the East for several years to come, and a team that ultimately ended up in the NBA Finals last year. That was the foundation. That trade was the catalyst that resulted in Boston be, you know, falling, what, a couple of wins shy of an NBA championship last year. All started with that trade. 
And Danny Ainge is now blowing up the Utah Jazz just like he did with the Boston Celtics when he got there. When he traded away the old guy, not when he got to Boston, but when he decided to trade away the old guys, when he hired Brad Stevens to be the head coach, basically gave him nothing to work with in that first year, but promised a brighter future. And it started to materialize. So whenever you, like, it's no different when you go shopping, right? When you go shopping and you're going to have to pay a pretty penny for something, whether it's a meal, whether it's a car, whether it's a house, anything, something that's going to cost you a couple of bucks. You want to at least know what you're getting, right? You want to do your homework. You want to make sure you check all the boxes. You do all your research just to know exactly what the hell you're getting. Well, I think you know what you're getting with Donovan Mitchell. There's no secrets. There's no mystery. There's no surprise. Getting somebody who's 25 years old. Been an all-star a few times in this league. He's a Met fan, maybe most importantly. And you know he can handle playing in this city, which is key. Say what you want about Jalen Brunson. Like, Jalen Brunson has ties to this area, maybe not necessarily New York City, more like South Jersey and whatnot, but still, he's got ties to the area. It ain't all that different. Donovan Mitchell knows what it takes to play here. We don't know if we know what it takes to win here because, well, he hadn't done it yet on the professional level. And, oh, by the way, he's under contract for three more years plus an option. So it's not like you're talking about getting a rental and a guy that you hope you're going to be able to afford and sign him to a new contract. No, he's under contract. And he'd be happy being here. So now we got to get into the question. What are you willing to pony up with? What are you willing to offer up to the Utah Jazz? And I'll throw it out there right now, and I want to hear from all my people at 800-919-3776. And you know where I'm going with this. It's not a surprise. You, you've got to know where this conversation is going. You're Danny Ainge. You're Leon Rose. And if you're, you know, wiretapping the phones and listening to whatever conversations they're having, you know as well as I do, every single amount of dialogue that those two gentlemen are having, the words that are coming out of Danny Ainge's mouth in some way, shape, or form are R.J. Barrett. That is the name. R.J. Barrett. Leon Rose, meantime, is trying to get him off that. Leon Rose is trying to say, well, no, 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 no. What about this? What about this? We got this guy. We got picks. What about those picks? You like this pick? By the way, I mentioned I got all these draft picks. You know, trying to steer the conversation away like a diversionary tactic. Will it work? Don't know. I mean, the Knicks do have a lot of picks. And is that even smart business? Like, do you really want to give away, like, a king's ransom of draft choices? Like, even more than, than Minnesota gave to, to Utah for Rudy Gobert? Like, is that smart business? And, oh, by the way, you're going to have to still get rid of a couple of veterans you have on your team because now for salary – remember, you used all your salary cap room on Jalen Brunson and re-signing Mitchell Robinson. Now you still have to get creative again and shed more cap space to be able to fit Donovan Mitchell on your team. So it's picks plus players. But let's play hardball for a second. Why? Because, well, we're doing a show right here, and we make the rules. But if I'm Danny Ainge, and I say to you, Leon Rose, the only way you're getting Donovan Mitchell is that the package must include R.J. Barrett. Are you making the move? Are you continuing the dialogue? Or are you hanging up the phone and walking away? Tell me. 800-919-3776, that's the telephone number. We'll talk Knicks, trades, possibilities, RJ. Donovan Mitchell, RJ Barrett. And look, we've had a couple of phone calls already. People are tweeting me left and right. And so far, not one single person, one single person would go ahead and make this move if it had to include RJ Barrett. And what you guys are saying is that you think this guy's ceiling is sky high. It's through the roof. All right? Through the roof. And I think that 
Look, in a perfect world, if there was a way to do this trade without including R.J. Barrett, that's, that, that's the course of action you want to take. I don't want to trade R.J. Barrett out of here. I don't. I want to keep him around. I hope he's a lifelong Nick. But I think that the sentimentality is clouding the judgment of some of you people. You know? I, I think that you just want to hold on to one of your own guys here because he's a Nick. Because you drafted him. Because he, he didn't get Zion. You didn't get John Morant. So it's almost like the last couple of years you've been conditioned to kind of just talk yourself into thinking, okay, this guy's even better. This guy's going to be even better. Lady Luck was smiling upon us inadvertently on draft night that this is who we ended up with. And look, I think the world of this kid. I do. And talking to the people that I know with the Duke basketball program, I'll never forget, coming into the draft that year when Zion was supposedly the golden goose, they said that RJ will be a better pro than Zion. The people close to that program that saw those guys day in, day out, said that RJ Barrett will be a better pro than Zion. And so far, I mean, when you, when you track the production over the last three years, the fact that Zion is never on the court speaks volumes to that. Is Donovan Mitchell the perfect player? No, of course not. You know, defensively, I, I, I mean, Tom Thibodeau is probably already, even though he's not even on the team yet, Tom Thibodeau is already probably having nightmares about that backcourt of Jalen Brunson and Donovan Mitchell and how they're going to try to stop teams, right? Let's say hi to Michael in Staten Island, who's up next here on 98.7 ESPN. Michael, how are you? Hey, what's up, Dan? How are you doing? Mike. What's going on? So my point here is the Jazz gave up Rudy Gobert for four firsts, a couple talented role players, and Pat Bev. There is no way the Knicks can't let go of a bunch of first-round picks. Quentin Grimes, maybe Toppin, maybe quickly. Evan Fournier should go. There is absolutely no reason why they shouldn't do that. The Knicks, how they're constructed now, their three best players are lefties. What are we doing with that? We're not, we're not making a playoff run. We might be like a seven seed and get swept worse than the Nets. It just, I won't even want to watch this season if we don't go after Donovan Mitchell. But I do agree you don't trade R.J. Barrett to get him. Even if it means you can hold on to some of those first-round draft choices, that still wouldn't do it for you. The Knicks have proved they can't draft anybody relevant besides i mean with the third pick we got rj that was that was good but no no no. but mike mike remember something remember something don't Mm -hmm. look at it that way don't look at those draft choices as guys you're actually going to turn in a card and they're going to become nicks think of those draft choices as chips that you could then turn around and mortgage into somebody else who's already proven on another team like you're trying to do here with donovan mitchell yeah but i don't want donovan mitchell they're they're he doesn't want to stay there, I don't think. I think he wants to be in New York. The team is- I think we lost Mike. Let's, we lost his line. Micah, thanks for the phone call, though. I appreciate it. Your line was crapping out there a little bit. You know, the other thing you got to remember, too, like, you know, go back to the playoffs or whatever. And, again, you're going to sit here and tell me he's young, whatever, and he was. He had, but, you know, R.J. Barrett did not exactly light up the room in that series against the Atlanta Hawks, when Julius Randle couldn't make a shot to save his life, and I know that RJ was only 20 years old, but he only averaged, what, 13, 14 points a game in that series? You know, was he there to help alleviate some of that scoring burden from Julius Randle when he couldn't get anything to fall? No. But Donovan Mitchell, his first introduction to the NBA and to the playoffs and whatnot, the guy was putting up almost 20, 25 points a game in the playoffs. He's a 21-year-old. I think maybe some of you don't know how good of a scorer and how good of a player this guy is. Now, is he a number one? You know, is he like the guy you build around? Probably not. But he's a pretty damn good 1A. You know, the way we talked about Jalen Brunson that whole time leading up to free agency, like, is Jalen Brunson a guy? No, he's not a number one. But Jalen Brunson's a piece. Think of Donovan Mitchell as somebody who's even a step above a Jalen Brunson. And we just don't know Despite the fact he's young, despite the fact that he was drafted by this team, we just don't know if R.J. Barrett's ever going to get to that level. What if he plateaus last year? Will in New Jersey up next here on 98.7. Willie, how are you? Hi, my name's Lou, Dan. How are you doing? Oh, I'm sorry. What's going on, Lou? How's things? 
Oh, uh, listen, Dan, I got to tell you, I, I hate to be agreeable, but, but it's almost like a Supreme Court 5-4 decision. It's a tough call because R.J. is a great kid. He's a heck of a player. But I got to tell you, I don't see him as a real bona fide big-time star in this league, and you just about have that with Donovan Mitchell. And as much as you might not want to give him up, and hopefully we can do a deal where you don't have to give him up, I think if push came to shove, and I think you even said, said it a little bit tentatively, but I agree with you. I think you have to make that deal um, and move forward. And I think you might be on your way to great things with a player like Mitchell on the team. That's just my take on it. But it's a hard call, no question about it. And I, and I like RJ because he's just he's a good kid. He a, he's, works his butt off. Um, and he, he's a talent. And you'll win a championship. He's a guy you'll win a championship with if you have the right pieces around them. But to pass up on Mitchell if you could get him is, is, is hard to do, in my opinion. It, it, it's, you said it perfectly. And I thank you for the phone call. It's, you know, the problem is is that you've done everything the right way with R.J. Barrett in terms of development. Everything. He checks all the boxes. On the court, off the court, work ethic, you know, good go- everything. Everything. But so is the guy you're bringing in. You know, let's not forget, so is the guy you're bringing in. Like, somebody else developed him. Like, somebody else did all the tough stuff and the dirty work. And not that there was a lot of development needed and growing pains and so on and so forth. I almost look at it as a different way, too. Right? Like, think about the fact that, you know, you had a guy that was sitting there and lasted all the way until the 13th pick in the draft. And that was the Frank Nielakina year, boys and girls, in case you forgot. Okay. I almost look at it as a way to, like, right or wrong. Almost like a do-over. It's like here you had a guy who was a draft pick in Nielakina, which didn't work out, which was made by a guy who was then fired, like, a couple of days later, which makes matters even worse. And now here's a chance to right that wrong and bring in the guy that you probably should have drafted. A local guy. A kid you had right underneath your nose. Jeff in Garden City, up next here on 9870 ESPN. Jeffrey, how are you? I'm doing great. I couldn't wait to answer this question. Unlike all the other, and I'm a lifelong Nick fan. You know, lifelong, love every aspect. When I heard this news, I thought, mm-hmm. bring them on. RJ, I mean, you know, it, there's no there's no reason not to do this. Yes, he showed up last year as the backup, and he is an important cog. But he's a cog. He's not going to carry this team in a Frazier, Reed, even, dare I say, Carmelo type of atmosphere. And I'm not saying that Mitchell is going to be that person either. But the proof, playing in the West, moving to the East with a player that has consistently shown, consistently shown offensive and defense capabilities. That's not to say, because there are plenty of games where Barrett has had nothing and there have been fewer games when he's been on fire. And you know what? Sometimes you got to go with the odds in your favor and to bring Mitchell here, I would be seeing how they would build around that, and Brunson and others, because the truth is, is you've got Toppin and you've got others coming off the bench who are equally as as passionate for their team in the game. And secretly, I think in many ways, we thought we had it. I remember at the beginning of two seasons ago thinking, wow, this is just amazing. But secretly, we're still rebuilding. And I agree with the caller before, kind of seventh seed, get blown out still. Let's go for it right now. We're not going to get this opportunity again. And I like Barrett a lot. Nobody has said they love it. No one caller has said he's a great player. He's a good guy. But sometimes you got to trade Tom Seaver in the middle of the night, my friends. Well, here's go. the problem, Jeff. And thanks for the phone call. First of all, you know, R.J. Barrett is not Tom Seaver. I, I think we can all agree on that. Um, and, and by the way, that didn't, not, that didn't exactly get the Mets anywhere. The Mets were floundering when Tom Seaver was traded, and things got even worse. You know, they didn't turn around again for another six, seven years until Hernandez came back in, you know, or got traded in in 83, and the young guys came up there in 84. But 
I, I don't see, honestly, I don't think, I'm, I'm just gauging here, I don't think a lot of the fans are aware of how good Donovan Mitchell is. Don't get me about the defense. Don't get me about the defense. Okay, Rudy Gobert was like defensive player of the year. Where did that get Utah? Right? Where'd that get Utah? It's a scoring league. You know, everybody who wanted to light a candle a month ago to Steph Curry when he won another championship and wanted to rank him ninth and 11th and 10th and 8th or wherever the hell you wanted to put him all time on the list. You doing that because of Steph Curry's defense? Or because he could shoot a basketball and make a shot from the parking lot, basically, blindfolded? I don't think you guys know how good Mitchell is and how good of a scorer he is. You talk about excitement. You know what that garden would be like on nights? How people would flock in to see. Because you know what? Donovan Mitchell, anytime he steps on the basketball court, imagine wearing a Nick uniform playing whoever it is at MSG. He could go for 40 any night. And the place would go crazy and the roof would be blown off the building. You can't say the same about R.J. Barrett. That's just not his game. Not yet. And I don't know if he's ever going to grow into that player. You know, one of the other callers, one of the first ones we had tonight, like, made the comparison, like, Tobias Harris. Tobias Harris. I mean, Tobias Harris is a nice player. But, like, Donovan Mitchell's a star. A star. Like I said, I think you're giving him short shift. And, look, if they get him, I'm not saying print your NBA finals tickets or, or, or you know, sleep outside the garden and wait for uh, finals tickets to go on sale. No way. They, they're still far away from that. But point is, you bring Mitchell in here, and if you get Julius Randle, who morphs even into somewhat the guy that resembled the player from a couple of years ago, maybe like an in-between, the one from two years ago and the guy last year, Donovan Mitchell, Jalen Brunson, Randle, Mitchell Robinson as your rim protector there in the middle, guess what? You might not have much of a bench. You're going to have to, like, sign guys off the street. <laughs> yeah, but that's something that I think fans are going to line up and genuinely be entertained to watch each and every single night. And a team that probably will find themselves in the playoffs in the Eastern Conference next year. Not competing for a title, but building blocks. Remember earlier today... Um, the Indiana Pacers signed DeAndre Ayton of the Phoenix Suns to that uh, offer sheet. He's a restricted free agent, four years, $133 million. Um, well, you can forget about that because Phoenix is matching it. <laughs> that, that didn't even last the whole night. Uh, Shams tweeting out a couple of minutes ago that Phoenix is going to go ahead and match it, which I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I think that is the uh, wealthiest matched offer sheet. Uh, it is, right, in the uh, in the NBA. So there you go. $133 million, Aiton back to Phoenix, and they're going to try to run it back and get back to the finals uh, next year in the NBA's Western Conference. But we're talking Knicks. We're talking Donovan Mitchell, the pursuit, the trade. And, and look, there might be a path, right? There could be a path to where maybe this thing gets done and they're able to hold on to RJ Barrett. Look, that would be the best of both worlds. I'm not sitting here like I may come across that way, but I am not somebody sitting here who's like waving the flag and advocating for them to trade R.J. Barrett. I just brought up the hypothetical, if that is what Utah demands, would you go ahead and do it? There are ways to get this thing done. Now, as I mentioned, you're going to have to find a way to free up some salary and money's going to have to go back to Utah because the Knicks are going to have to fit Donovan Mitchell under the cap. And Utah's in a position where they're gutting the roster they're stripping that thing down, and what they want are draft picks. They want draft picks, cheap players to be able to go out there and tank and lose horribly for the next couple of seasons. But if you look at the money on the Knicks, you know, Evan Fournier still's got three years, $56 million left on that contract. All right, that's, that's decent money. Derrick Rose is still making decent money next year, right? So you figure, all right, those are two candidates potentially going back the other way, but not money to where it's going to break the bank for Utah, right? That they're going to be crying poor because they're absorbing those salaries. You know, guys like Obi Toppin, goes like Deuce, or guys like Deuce McBride and whatnot, Quentin Grimes, they're not making any money, like major money to where that's going to absolutely like free up your cap if you get rid of them. 
you know, you want to get rid of them because those are valuable players and they have upside and, you know, they could be important role players for you, especially if you're cap-strapped a little bit. But you might have to include somewhere in the neighborhood of like five of those draft choices, like three of yours. You know, you want to throw in like a Dallas protected pick. You want to throw in a Washington protected pick possibly. All right, do that. Will that sweeten the pot enough to where Utah says, okay, fine, he's yours? Darren in Astoria, he's up next here on 98.7 ESPN. Darren, how are you? Hey, Dan, how you doing there? What's up, Darren? How's things? Hanging in there, hanging in there. Appreciate all you guys up at ESPN. Y'all are amazing. Um, y'all all know what you're doing up there. Y'all helped me to get me through my day. There you go. Um, so with regard, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, so with regard to Donovan Mitchell and R.J. Barrett, no disrespect to R.J. Barrett, um, and for all that, all of the people and the, the listeners have been talking about with uh, Donovan being smaller, Donovan Mitchell has a 6'10 wingspan. Anybody that knows about basketball knows that he's a bigger player. Um, do I, it, I, for a person that's played in the parks here in New York mm-hmm. and competitive basketball where a lot of individuals should have been in school, should have, you, you looked at them, they were very, very talented, <laughs> you know, um, if I walked on the court because they used to kick me off the court because I was younger that I always loved basketball, if I walked on the court and I had to pick between Donovan Mitchell and R.J. Barrett, I would pick a guy that I know at big, with the, at the biggest stage he's made big shots as opposed to someone that's learning about it. And then he's, he's, a, he's a freakishly athletic individual that if he stays healthy, it's, it's exciting as well. Almost on a level of what everybody's giving Zion all the money for, Donovan Mitchell's been doing that. If we had the New York media every day with the Utah media, when Donovan Mitchell was playing all those years there, everybody's mind would be changed. He's the guy. I might trade off more people for him. I would start with him. And another thing, he's, he is homegrown, but he wants the moment. If we believe in people who believe, he wants this moment, and I give him a chance. And I think it'll be exciting for everybody here. And if they keep the right, the synergy is going to spread. New York's going to be in a better space. And, again, I love to keep R.J. Barrett and everybody intact. However, Donovan Mitchell is another level. And he's been waiting for this moment. He said he dreamed about it. So I give it to him. Darren, thanks for the phone call. You make good points. You do. And and keep something else in mind. Like, a lot of people are, you know, when they bring up R.J.'s age, oh, he's 21, he's 21, he's 21. Yeah, he's 21 or 22, but – you guys are making it out like Donovan Mitchell's 35, you know? Like, you guys are making it like we're bringing in, uh, you know, Amari Stoudemire with a bad back after Phoenix was done with him and thought that he was damaged goods and couldn't play anymore. No, this, this guy's 25. And, dare I say, entering the prime of his career. You know, not in the prime, like entering the prime. Really, really, really good. And ascending. Let's not lose sight of it. And again, we might just like glance over this as if it's not that big of a deal. It's a big deal. Anybody that lives here will tell you this. And anybody who's watched sports and watched players and watched teams try to get it done in this city. The fact this guy is from here is a big check in the old box. And he knows the pressures that come along with it. Artie in Brooklyn, up next. On 98.7. All right, how are you, bud? Hey, Dan, and thanks for taking the call. Yeah. You know, listen, we, 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 did, we had the money for LeBron, hoping for LeBron. We had all these guys, uh, um, whatever, um, Kyrie and, and Durant, yep. you know, and you don't get those chances. And I don't want to give up Barrett either. But you know what? You, what think about how you're going to feel when he's playing for Riley in Miami. Okay, because they have an advantage that, that nobody else talks about. Not only is it Miami and the Strip and everything like that, it's also taxes and everything. And then they got Butler. So if we're able to get this guy, and the reason we don't get him is because we didn't want to get rid of um, RJ. I love RJ, but he's not Mitchell. And think about what Mitchell on the team. No, they're not going to the championship with Mitchell, Bronson, or whoever we got. But you know what? He brings other players. Maybe next year we're not going to miss out on the Durants and things like those kind of players because they because Mitchell will bring that guy here. Mitchell is a number one or a number one A or B. RJ is going to take a while just to be that. 
We already know who that that guy is. So, so if fans are calling up and they don't want to give up that guy, just think about that. When was the last time we had that player? Melo was point. on it on the on going downhill when we got him. All right, all right. Thanks for taking the call, buddy. Art, you're good. That's a good point. You know, when 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 you try to attract a player, and it's something that we've talked about for <laughs> forever, it seems like when you're the Knicks. And you're trying to attract a free agent that is of all-star quality, that is a difference maker, that's going to help turn around the fortunes of your program. When was the last time you got that guy in free agency? When was the last time? Right, because two, three weeks ago, when I sat here and I was talking to each and every one of you guys about the pros and cons of Jalen Brunson, what are you all saying? Oh, well, we can't get anybody else to come here, so we have to settle for a guy like Jalen Brunson and throw him $110 million because nobody else will take our money. Well, okay, that's part of it. It's part of the reason, but what else did I say? I said what would have looked absolutely even worse than anything was if Jalen Brunson said thanks but no thanks to the Knicks because then that would have been a real problem and would have just reinforced the issues that have plagued this franchise for the last two decades. And the fact that they can't get anybody to come over here and take their money. And Jalen Brunson was basically signed, sealed, and delivered to come to this place, given all the connections between his father, between his agent, everything. You thought that it was all going to line up so there was no way they were going to miss out on him. They got their guy. Great. But you don't know when that next marquee free agent is coming along that's going to say, I picked the Knicks. Because they haven't had that guy in 20 years. And Stoudemire, look. Say what you want about Stoudemire. He was damaged goods to Phoenix with the back. And it turned out that for a couple of years, he was really, really good with the Knicks until he wasn't. This is a different story. There are no question marks. There are no red flags. If this guy was ever on the open market and a true free agent and could pick his destination, maybe he gets a little bit of an edge or the Knicks get a little bit of an edge because he's a New Yorker and he wants to come home and he loves the Mets. But take that out of the mix. When is a guy of Donovan Mitchell's caliber choosing the Knicks to say, that's where I want to play? This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. So a tale of two different stories right now uh, for the baseball teams. One in Chicago. No other way to say it. The Mets are basically, you know, having extended batting practice against Keegan Thompson and the Cubs. They're out to a 4 nothing lead in the second inning over Chicago. Everybody up there getting a hit, doing damage. I mean, Lindor with an RBI double. Patrick Mazika's driven in a couple of runs. Marte back in the mix with an RBI single. Marte in the lineup tonight. McNeil back in the lineup tonight. Remember, they missed uh, the series in Atlanta, which was impressive that the fact that they still took two out of three there. So a good start for the Metsies uh, in Chicago against the Cubs. Yankees, on the other hand, well, there's good and bad for the Yankees so far tonight. That's the way we'll, we'll, we'll go with it for starters. The bad is that they're losing to the Reds one to nothing in the bottom of the sixth inning. And maybe also a little bit on the negative side is the fact that the Yankees haven't gotten a hit yet. Okay. So they are potentially four innings away from getting no hit for the second time this year. But the good part is that the guy who's on the mound spinning a gem might be a Yankee sometime over the next few weeks. You know, so that's like the light at the end of the tunnel. That's the glass half full approach if you're a Yankee fan tonight. Like Luis Castillo, when you see him out there tying up this Yankee lineup, you say, damn, I can't wait to see him pitch at Yankee Stadium again, this time wearing the pinstripes. And with Luis Severino on the injured list due to that latch strain, you don't know how long he's going to be out. You best believe that Brian Cashman is going to be in the market for another arm. And could it be Luis Castillo? Perhaps. So we'll keep you up to date here as to the proceedings in the Bronx and if the Yankees are still hitless as we move forward through the night. We're talking NBA, the Knicks, Donovan Mitchell at 800-919-3776. As far as the Nets are concerned, the Netropolitans, Kevin Durant's still on the team. Kyrie Irving is still on the team. Nets hold all the the leverage here, guys. You know, at least with KD. 
Kyrie's a different story. You know, Kyrie's on, you know, his player option. He opted in. And then he could go his merry way at the end of the season. KD is a different animal altogether because KD signed that extension. Four years and a lot of money. So this isn't a situation where the player, who likes to think that they have the leverage, it's not like he can threaten to sit out and say, okay, I'm not going anywhere, and I'll just ride out my contract. I'm not going to play for you guys, and at the end of the year I'm going to go you know, play for some other team, so you have to trade me. You have to trade me because then you're going to get nothing for me in exchange when I leave as a free agent. Kevin Durant doesn't have that card to play with the Nets. Right? The Nets are the ones that actually hold all the leverage here. And I'm going to tell you, with each passing day, I, I, I don't know what it is. I just keep, there's a growing suspicion as each offer that the Nets, you know, supposedly want, which is, you know, a hefty sum as they should, because Kevin Durant's one of the best players in the NBA, and Kevin Durant is the best player to ever put on a Nets uniform. Okay, I don't care if that's Brooklyn Nets, New Jersey Nets, the ABA Nets. I don't care. Kevin Durant is the best player to ever put on a Nets uniform. The Nets should hold out for the absolute best package. Like, we sit here and talk about what, like, the Jazz are going to get for Donovan Mitchell. No, that's nothing. You know, what the Jazz got for Rudy Gobert, for example, that's nothing compared to what the Nets should ask for and should receive for Kevin Durant because Kevin Durant's better. I don't care how old he is. Production is all that matters to me. But as we get closer to the fall, September, and training camp, like I, I just have a weird feeling like Durant might still be a net. And the thing about KD, and the no-hitter is over, by the way, in the Bronx, Anthony Rizzo. The thing about KD, you know, I don't love the way he's handled this. But the thing you say about him in his career, he hasn't ever been the guy who has pulled a James Harden, so to speak, and has sulked and has threatened not to play or basically gone out there and played and looked like he really wasn't even trying to play, you know, like going through the motions. He's always been a professional when it comes to his game. And I really have my doubts and reservations that if that same dissatisfaction was present come September, October, that he would loaf through the basketball season. That's just not his way because I think he cares too much. He's actually one of the few, I think, playing today that still have that thing called pride. James Harden didn't have any pride when he got fat and lazy and wanted to get out of Houston. James Harden didn't have any pride when he got lazy and wanted to get the hell out of Brooklyn and wanted to work his way back to his buddy Daryl Morey there in Philadelphia. But Durant is a different player than those guys are. You know, I think he cares about things. Cares about how he's perceived. Cares about legacy to a certain degree. Now, I say that, but these rumors about him possibly having a reunion with the Golden State Warriors, I don't know if how that impacts his legacy or that does wonders for his legacy. Let's put it that way. But I just got a feeling that we shouldn't slam the door shut on Durant being an ex-net for the upcoming season. 800-919-3776, that is the telephone number. Let us say hi to uh, Michael and Bayside up next here on 98.7. Mike, how are you? Hey, Dave, good to speak with you. Hey, Mike. Um, I, I think I'm in a very small minority uh, in that I want RJ to be the primary piece in a trade, and I'll give you four reasons, and I'll, I'll try to be very quick. Mm-hmm. Number one, I've never loved his game. He can be clutched from the perimeter, but he doesn't really finish in the paint when he's contested. And I know this, maybe I'll think this is a bit of an exaggeration, but he's not quite as soft, but he reminds me when he's contested down near the rim, like Charles Smith, he kind of chokes. Number two. Smith um, was bigger. Smith was bigger, of course. Yeah, I know, different positions, but he kind of reminds me that he doesn't have that clutch gene in the paint. Does from the perimeter. He's made some big shots from the perimeter. Number two. Um, if you saw the last three, four games last season, as far as the other potential pieces, um, o- Obi has now seems to have developed an outside shot. He scored 30, 40 points in like two of the last four games, 20 points, 20 points, 30 and 40. If he consistently shoots from the outside, we all know he's ferocious in the paint. I think this guy has tremendous upside and people are minimizing him, uh, that he's just a little role player. Same thing with Grimes. I think Quentin Grimes has tremendous upside. He's a a great, uh, not great, but he's a gritty two-way player. And my fourth reason 
nobody seems to be addressing this at all on your show, any shows on ESPN. Um, how will Mitchell and R- if RJ were to stay, how are they both playing on the court at the same time? Is is RJ going to move to the three? It's going to have to be. But, you know, here's the thing is different, though, Michael, and, and thanks for the phone call. Basketball right now, it, it, it's it's a different spot than certainly where it was back in the day to where you almost have, like, positionless basketball now. You know, it's, it's, it's very much a wing game, a perimeter-oriented game. You know, guys who are – you know, should be threes or twos and vice versa just to get as many scores and, and, and guys that can space the floor all out there at the same time. Like, that. that's what the game is. And that's why you almost see, like, the, the dissolvement and the extinction of the big man and the center and how that's really, like, kind of like a relic and a thing of the past. I mean, Utah ran into that problem, right? Utah had, you know, the problem with Utah was all those years they were a two-headed monster, but – one of their two big players was kind of like an old-school center to where he really doesn't have much of an offensive game. He was a rim protector and a guy who protected the paint, but he wasn't adding much offensively. That's the difference between a guy like, let's say, Rudy Gobert and Joel Embiid. You know, Joel Embiid is, yeah, he's a center. He could play back in the day and all those things, but Joel Embiid is also a guy who could score. You know, he's a threat offensively. Joel Embiid could step out and, and sink threes. That's not Rudy Gobert's game. So Mitchell had to shoulder the majority of the scoring load on that team himself. And by the way, the OB top in those last couple of games when he scored, you know, 30 and 40, I mean, I can't go crazy with those games. Those were like the literally the last two games of the regular season that meant absolutely nothing. And I can't even remember who they played in those games, but you know that those teams weren't necessarily, uh, you know, playing their starters and, and main players, you know, significant minutes. So, you know, it was nice, but it was kind of like those were glorified preseason games. Those are like the games where don't they serve like, you know, $1 hot dogs and they give out like free popcorn and stuff like that for, for people that actually show up. You know, you're, you're not going to be able to keep everybody. You know, if this trade happens, you're not going to be able to keep everybody. Some guys are going to have to go. And Obi could be one of them because he does he have upside? Yes. You know, does Quentin Grimes have upside? Yes. And just because they're attractive and they're appealing to, let's say, the Knicks, they're also probably appealing to other teams in the NBA, too. And Utah would be no different. This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. <laughs>